0: Oh, hey, everybody! This is the fifth episode of Cloth Men Discuss Bare Naked Ladies. I'm Chris Small.
1: And I am E from Ellis.
0: Today, I am wearing a tank top with some exercise shorts. And it's not clothing, but I'd like to point out for our listeners, I'm rocking a pretty damn good mustache. Because as we are recording this, it's Movember. So donate. Even though this will be posted in December, you should still donate.
1: Uh, because it's a white tank top and you've also got short, dark hair, you've got like a pretty strong Freddie Mercury costume going on right now, and I'm really digging it.
0: If this was a queen podcast, we'd be set, but alas.
1: Ah, a sequel series. Now there's got to be a million queen podcasts already. Yes, and I am wearing a dark green and blue checked flannel shirt and jeans, and a bright blue t-shirt from a different podcast. I'm great at branding.
0: We're really rocking the I've got the summer Melbourne look going on right now, and you've got the quintessential Canadian fall look going on. It's good. Although it was 18 degrees in Toronto today. <laughs> yeah, you guys are having a massive heat wave these days. My mom was saying like last week you guys were in the 20s for mid-November.
1: There was a humidex in mid-November. That's. In Toronto, Ontario. It makes absolutely no sense. It was really, really nice, but also very unnerving.
0: Well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard.
1: Though, again, for there to be a year where there's an extremely warm fall, this year of all years when we can only meet each other outside (laughs) for safety reasons, it's it's not the worst thing that could have happened.
0: Yeah, very true. Today, we are talking about Maroon. Yes! Oh, so spoiler, you're a fan.
1: Spoiler, I am a big fan of this record. It's very, oh yeah.
0: It is quite good. A lot of pressure on them because this is the follow-up to 1998 Stunt, which we talked about last episode because this is a chronological podcast. That's how timelines work.
1: None of this memento, Christopher Nolan sort of stuff going on here.
0: None of this Dunkirk stuff by Christopher Nolan. None of this Tenet stuff. I'm just going to name Christopher Nolan films. We are not a Christopher Nolan associated podcast.
1: None of this inter- Stellar stuff by Crow. No, time is slow. That's a terrible joke.
0: No, I liked it. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> and then we're going to talk to our future selves 15 years later next week. That was a weird movie. Hurt my ears. I liked it, though. Yeah, it was good. It was yeah. pretty decent. Good. Matthew McConaughey was the ghost all along. Spoiler alert. But we're not talking about Interstellar. We're talking about Maroon, which was released September 12, 2000. The number one single on the Billboard 100 that week, Music by Madonna. Good song. But what song was it? Music by Madonna.
1: No, I know it was music, but what song was it?
0: Music by... And we're back. You guys can't hear this, but through the magic of post-edit, that bit went on for 45 minutes. I don't think it overstated. its welcome. It was pretty good. Pretty great. I mean, it's 6 p.m. now, and we started recording at 3, but... The number one single of 2000, Breathe by Faith Hill. Number two, because we've mentioned this song before in previous episodes, Smooth by Santana and Rob Thomas. Breathe by Faith Hill just beat it out.
1: Give me your heart. Make it real. Oh, let's forget about it.
0: Forget about getting to number one.
1: Every single time, again, not that I have it all this year, because again, it's 2020. And it's horrible, but every single time I would go to a Jays game and they would be playing against whatever team Carlos Santana, the baseball player, was on, no matter what play he made, I could not resist saying, oh, that was so smooth.
0: Breathe by Faith Hill, just a side note, was the first country song to make it to number one on the billboard year N100 since 1959, believe it or not.
1: Really? How
0: neat. Yeah, 41 years of no country for number one anyways.
1: Well, my mother's cassette deck in the car was very on top of all the latest trends then. in that case.
0: Mrs. Ellis knew what was up. Number one single on the Canadian billboard year N2000s, Music by Madonna.
1: So we just cut out the whole second version of that bit.
0: It's now 9 p.m. I'm very tired.
1: (laughs) Oh, jeez.
0: This album certified platinum in the U.S., selling over a million copies. It debuted at number one in Canada and number five in the U.S., so they still definitely weren't resting. They might have been resting on their laurels a bit in terms of the hype from Stunt, but this was a massive success three singles from the album, which were all big hits in the US, Pinch Me, Too Little Too Late, and Falling for the First Time. I think that that's probably the strongest trio of singles for me off of any one album. They're not necessarily my favorite. Like, I, I love all of these songs, but I think that in terms of the singles off of any one album, I think that that's the best trio of them off of a single album because all three are amazing.
1: I can't think of any other runners up there. So I think you've convinced me. I think that's a good thesis. <laughs>
0: Pinch Me peaked at number two on the adult top 40 chart and number 15 on the Billboard Hot 100. So this was probably their most successful single post one week, I'd say, and still continues to be. One Week and Pinch Me are really up there in terms of American exposure for the Naked Ladies.
1: Yeah, I was just checking your notes from our last episode because I couldn't remember. Oh, One Week did make it to number one. It did, yeah. Which is, yeah, that's pretty nuts because I saw the 15 that Pinch Me made it to 15 in your notes and I thought like, oh that must be a record or something oh nope nope still still one week still definitely one week but uh, to be perfectly honest i was quite surprised to see that pinch me got that high on the charts because i really thought that after stunt not much happened for them in the states but
0: oh i can't wait to talk about that song then stay tuned Ooh, (laughs) me too stay tuned as people are listening to this episode (laughs) just eight minutes in no don't don't didn't care for the music bit don't press pause you you can't So this is the first album almost entirely written by Page and Robertson together. So we've talked about previous ones. Maybe You Should Drive was definitely the most clear-cut example of separate writers where they just kind of came together afterwards. But Born on a Pirate Ship and Stunt still did a lot of writing together. But this one, every single song was co-written by them except for Baby Seat, which would be the last collaboration between Page and Duffy. That is Stephen Duffy of Duran Duran.
1: Yeah and I think that song really really sounds like like it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it's very, very different than all the rest of the stuff on the record.
0: Post this album, they were pretty much a strict writing within the band-only edict, which they've stuck until to this day. Mm -hmm. But this is almost all Page though, as lead vocalist. It really surprised me when I went back and listened to this song, because Ed only does two songs as lead vocalist, and he shares a third one with Steve.
1: Though, of those two songs that Ed sings, it's two out of the three singles, which is an interesting choice. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, it's very funny that he's kind of the voice of them on radio, and then someone picks... Someone picks up the album and goes, who's this asshole? <laughs>
1: why don't they let that guy sing anymore? And that's, yeah, that is really, really weird, because I was thinking of, after we were talking about the last two records, that I was really liking how they were moving towards having a more co-equal share of the lead mic. And to backtrack here, that's kind of interesting. I wonder why that was.
0: Yeah. This is the last album to be released prior to their first greatest hits album, Disc One, which would be released in 2001. That is the first Naked Ladies album I owned. I've spoken about that. I bought other albums with my own money but that was uh the real introduction to a lot of their catalog so that holds a place in my heart and there was a lot of pressure i feel on this album to deliver after stunt and i mean i think that they did what about you i absolutely
1: think that they did i i think maybe in the maybe you should drive episode I was talking about how I kind of feel a lot of their albums are grouped into <laughs> movements that maybe you should drive and born a pirate ship are kind of two of the same album and then stunt and maroon like maroon is kind of like stunt too yeah like it's just a really really poppy hooky record I really think they were writing for the radio especially after the success of
0: stunt yes I could definitely see that I think you mentioned that yeah on the may you should drive episode and it's really stuck with me because I They would go on to do that with Bare Naked Ladies Are Me and Bare Naked Ladies Are Men, where it was, you know, two albums that were linked thematically. And I do agree. I think Stunt and Maroon could almost be a double album if you put these together. Decent reviews across the board for this one in terms of professional critics. It averaged about three out of five. I had to bring this up on this podcast, though. The notable exception is NME, a respected British magazine and website that gave it a review of zero out of ten retroactively from September 2005.
1: That was a that was a blistering review. I had to look that up after you sent the notes this afternoon. Why write that very short, very mean article in 2005?
0: The headline of it is "Who cares? It's all shit." 0 out of 10 stars. Uh Hard disagree. Yeah, everyone's entitled to their opinion. It's certainly not ours, because there are some very good tracks on this album. Let's just get into it right now. The album kicks off with the first single, Too Little Too Late. Great opener great opener
1: yeah yeah those guitars really just like hit you right out of the gate
0: absolutely Uh, love the claps love the faint cowbell Mm mm-hmm hmm And the, you talk about the guitar riffs at the beginning. That guitar riff to close it off is very of its time where you've got the, mm, you've got that sweet hum feedback and then the, pow, like, pow.
1: Oh, we're gonna have to sync that up in post because this is over Zoom. Oh, what have I done?
0: <laughs> no, we can do it. I've just made so much work for you, Chris. I'm
1: sorry. Through the power of Audacity.
0: This episode is brought to you by Audacity.
1: Uh, that would be great
0: if it was.
1: Please send us some money, Audacity. I really, really like Too Little Too Late. So, Chris, you remember mix CDs?
0: I do. I do indeed. Do you remember
1: when this record came out in 2000, mix CDs were like a thing. Because the iPod hadn't come out yet, the way that you would make a playlist was that you would burn it onto a CD. And when I was in late high school, so it would have been like 2002, like 2001, 2002, so like a year after this came out, I think a friend of mine put Falling for the first time on a mix CD, and that was one of my first introductions to this record, because I didn't have the record yet Mm. and those mix CDs because I thought oh this is so cool you can make your own albums you can put these plastic discs in your computer and make your own albums that kicked off this weird thing that I've done every year since first year university where sometime between Labor Day and Canadian Thanksgiving, I would make a mixtape of music that I've been listening to a lot that year. And even to this day, even though I don't burn them on CDs anymore, they still have to be under 80 minutes because that's what you could fit on a mixtape. And Too Little Too Late was one of the first Bare Naked Ladies songs I put on that weird yearly music journal I've now kept up for 15, 16 years now. So that's kind of like the memories that this song conjures up for me, but yeah.
0: fun side note about those playlists that you make. I listen to everyone that you post as a Spotify playlist. Oh, you're too kind! Which at one point became an embarrassing faux pas with my friends where you had the song Bet Davis Eyes on one of them. And I remember Uh,
1: Betty Davis Eyes, but yes. Betty
0: Davis Eyes. (laughs) And I remember listening to it and singing it along. And I had never heard that song before. And I did not listen to the lyrics well enough. And so I started singing, you've got the devil's eyes. And people (laughs) People said, what What? the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Because I thought it was you got the devil's eyes. They said, it's Betty Davis' eyes. I don't know what you're talking about. Now I got to go look over those lyrics and see what changes about the story of that song. I'm just a closet Satanist, clearly. (laughs) too little too late is a great opener what i like about it is that it works as a later song too i think that it can have the strength of an opener but you can put it anywhere because on disc one this came i think it was like the 17th or 18th track it was near the end but it still worked really well and i think the strength is in that opening guitar lick that you were talking about it's really good never do anything second song speaking of sweet guitar riffs sweet synths that is the first note i have for this (laughs)
1: but <laughs> first note is, lick my wounds, could you pass the salt? That's a great lyric. It's so
0: good. There's so many good lyrics in this song.
1: This song specifically, like, I empathize with this song a lot because I, too, am very ambitious, but am often very lazy.
0: That's pretty much the crux of the theme of this song, isn't it?
1: (laughs) So I'm glad that somebody wrote a song about that feeling.
0: I love the idea of a pro tic-tac-toe player.
1: Yes, absolutely. Similarly, later in the song, I, I don't know why I always thought there's the lyric about uh, it involves the internet
0: oh yeah that's right
1: it's it's about him coming up with a get rich quick scheme but for some reason I always assumed that was supposed to be dirty
0: <laughs> oh like he was just looking up pornography
1: well, or no that he was creating his own pornography or something I didn't I didn't realize that. well wait no it's 2000 it's the dot com boom it's not anything like that
0: it could be both his get rich quick scheme could be maybe he was the pioneer of Pornhub he had the idea beforehand but he didn't act on it but that doesn't seem to be something that you would be
1: overly ambitious about like the rest of the song
0: everyone has a know. dream mine just happens to be really gross
1: and you know what you know what in all honesty more power to you in that case
0: so we go from a song about people who you know dream about making it big never do it pinch me is the next song it's like the dream you try to remember but it's gotten. then you trying to scream
1: it only comes out as young when you
0: a huge single about the band feeling that they did do something great, but no one gave a shit in their home country. <sighs> I
1: never knew that that specifically is what inspired this song until recently, and oh, that's a bummer.
0: It's another song about, you can take it very much as depression, which they have said, they touch on those, but that very specific, climb the stairs up to my room and sleep away the afternoon. I could mm-hmm. walk, but I'll just drive. It's colder than it looks outside. Those lyrics really do paint a picture of someone who is just in a trance, and just the what depression's all about, right? Where you're just sleeping, mm-hmm. you just don't feel comfortable. But very specifically, that feeling of melancholy where, yes, Ed Robertson has gone on record. They just came back from the stunt tour. Massive success. And for those of you who may be listening who are outside of Canada, millions of of downloads this podcast has.
1: Well, we just went live. I got to see the metrics.
0: That's true. And at least four of those are from Australia. So
1: just just you, just you wait. Squarespace is going to be knocking down our door any second now.
0: But for those of you who aren't from Canada, we have a reputation of being this nice, polite country, but we have a very weird, weird and well-documented reputation and history with the artists that make it big outside of Canada. It's a very weird phenomenon that's only recently been broken, I feel. A lot of people who make it big, whether it be TV actors, movie stars, musicians, when they come back, it's almost like we disowned them. And it's a very weird thing. I don't understand. And this is what Ed Robertson felt when they came back to Canada and they said, oh, how was the U.S.? You ain't so hot.
1: Yeah. But like Canada has a weird relationship with even the pop culture that stays. It's very true. In Canada as well, because there is a Canadian star system, but compared to the star system that exists in the States, it's absolutely nothing.
0: Yeah. It's a very odd one, but you know what? It was the inspiration for, again, probably their second biggest single in the US. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this was pretty massive. A lot of people did say that it was, oh, them trying to follow up one week i don't read it like that i think it's just because ed robertson raps in it but he doesn't even really rap he's just doing a really quick kind of phrasing in the chorus
1: i was about to say i don't even think that's him rapping that's him just kind of using his natural flow for a different type of lyric though i am very impressed at how quickly he speaks
0: yeah me as well
1: during that one little bit because I also did not understand what he was saying until recently as well. And not because of this podcast, but because my wife could successfully sing along with this song in the car. Oh, nice. That's impressive. And that was the first time I understood what Ed was saying. With it, I guess i make my last one. Like that bit. I couldn't, I can't even say it that fast right now. But she could. And she knew what the lyrics were. And I was very impressed. This is my wife's favorite bearded Lady song.
0: Oh, nice. It's a good one. Yeah. and uh, It's a really good choice, I think. Yeah. Your wife is also the... The one who uh, pointed out that Born on a Pirate Ship is technically a dirty kid gag. So I feel like she's like the unofficial third host of this podcast where information <laughs> just trickles to you and uh, it's good. I like it.
1: <laughs> she's absolutely amazing and absolutely full of trivia and it's great.
0: I remember a very funny story about this is when Paige and Robertson were talking about how they write lyrics, they got stuck where it was there's a restaurant down the street where, oh, what kind of people? Fun people have. Hungry people. Hungry people write in restaurants. And then it was... Uh, She just opened the door and said, Are you talking about me? On the air. Uh, Only
1: good things, darling. I miss you.
0: I remember this song was so big in 2000, despite them feeling that they didn't have as much success or they were scorned because of their success in Canada. This song was massive in 2000. I was in grade eight at the time. And as part of our choir practice, we sang this song, which I feel Mr. Powers, our choir teacher was either hung over and just was like, ah, you know what, just sing this song that I heard on the radio, or he was just a really big bare naked Ladies fan. But yeah, that, that, this is my first introduction to this song. It was singing it in grade eight choir. Oh, that's so cool. This whole album, in
1: general, kind of has a special place in my heart because it was the latest record of theirs out when I kind of discovered them as a band, because I kind of really got into the Naked Ladies in like grade 10 and 11, which would have been like 2001, 2002 for me, and this would be, yeah, this would be the, their latest release.
0: Yeah, because we're two years apart. You're two years older than me, so yeah, that checks out the timeline. I was in grade 8 singing it in choir, and you were probably hanging out with the cool kids, driving your monster trucks and drinking drinking your jolt cola. I didn't know what teenagers at the time.
1: I absolutely was not. I was hanging out with a bunch of dorky theater kids under a stairwell. Still drank a lot of jolt cola though, I bet. Ex- excuse me, my my school was quite classy. We had like an official actual
0: coke machine. Oh, well, little rich boy.
1: Uptown boy.
0: That's, that's what happened when you were in school, but then when we went home, that that didn't work. That's not the name of the song. Go home is the next is the next ah, song. Ah yes. will me tell you We
1: just listen to the Gordon episode? Gosh, our segues were so good in that episode.
0: We really peaked.
1: It was all you. We really peaked there. So it's but you, you can't try to capture that lightning in a bottle again. You just have to you know, let it come naturally. Go home, track four. I really like this song. I hadn't listened to this song in years. It's really, really good. It feels really Beatles-y mm-hmm. to me. Like it feels very early Beatles. Like, I feel like I want to see Ed and Steve like standing up in tiny suits with their guitars really, really high up in their chest and Tyler drumming but putting his head back and forth to the side like Ringo does. It's just got this really cool like early 60s, really sunshiny pop kind of feeling to it. The The drumming and the harmonies. Yeah, it's really, really good.
0: And you talk about licking my wound, someone passed the salt. One of my favorite lyrics in this song, especially now that I'm married, is if you're lucky to be one of the few to find someone who can tolerate you. What a great fucking lyric, because thank God for my wife, who is a very tolerant person. (laughs) I just love that line so much. It's good.
1: Oh, what a lucky guy. Good for you. I mean, that's
0: that's just love in a nutshell, really. There's a lot of toleration in a good way.
1: Oh, so I, in a good way. But yeah, but then also uh, it's got that kind of bittersweet relationship point of view that a lot of the bare naked Ladies oomph uh, kind of has. Because, you know, for every spoonful of sugar, they got a little, little, little pinch of salt in there as well. And this song definitely has that as well. Catherine the Great line still makes me feel weird, but. Yeah. And the Joan of Arc. Yeah, both the Joan of Arc and the...
0: <laughs> weird, weird weird jokes. History lessons though. I'm like, "What what are you talking about Catherine Great? What was that?" Oh no. <laughs> oh jeez. Speaking, well, that that was quite controversial, but the real controversy of this song, uh, I want to get your opinion on this. Do they actually say, "Fuck yeah"? At the end of the oh, track. Absolutely. You think so,
1: Ab- I'm not even letting you finish the sentence. They are absolutely saying that.
0: They have gone on record saying we'd never say that, but in a very jokey, winking kind of way, because they've never sworn before.
1: Yeah, I kind of did a double take when I was re-listening to that too, because I was like, is that what they said? But there's definitely nothing else they could be saying.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, but it's weird because like I feel like this could have been another single if it weren't for that. <laughs> yeah, true, actually. Maybe it was all a plot. Maybe we were getting some pushback wanting this to be one of the singles, and they specifically threw that in so that it would get added off the end of the list.
0: They set you up for waiting for the final beat in Too Little Too Late, where you're like, here it comes, and then this one just happens to be an F-bomb. Fuck yeah!
1: Pardon me? It's like, ah, see, we're not we're not just those jokey lads anymore. We're dropping swears in our new record. We're
0: adults now. It's kind of like when you have that massive success, it's like, oh, get ready for our new edgy album. We're going to take this band to new bold directions. We're going to drop exactly one
1: f-bomb in the middle of an extremely happy and upbeat Beatles-y kind of track, very very mature and dark. <laughs>
0: We then go on to Falling for the First Time, the second single off of this album. Holy crap, I love this
1: song. Tyler's drumming is nuts on this track. It It is so so good and so fast and I, I am not a drummer so I want to say and so complex but I feel like then the two drummers I know will be like Ephraim you're a dummy you don't know about drum beats
0: hey that's uh, you look at it as someone teasing you I look at it as two people listening to the podcast <laughs>
1: Hey, you're right, guys. Send us that. Send us that hate mail. Let us know you're listening.
0: It, it's so much fun. It's so quick. Yeah, the 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 drums in this are amazing. The keys in this are amazing. Those little riffs where he's got like the bridge of the doon 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 like Kevin Hearn again, very good pianist.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah, the you no know, the yeah the drumming on this and the keys specifically. There's that one little riff where he goes like almost right up to the top of the keyboard. Yeah, just makes me grin every single time I hear it. It's so good. Um, you play piano, don't you? I do. Yes. Cool. Moving on. It's <laughs> hoping maybe you'd have a little bit of insight or something. Nope. That's... On the piano because you play. Thought I was giving you a good opening. <laughs> oh, that's I Thought I was being a, being a good co-host interviewer, but oh
0: well. I'm, ju- I'm just confirming. You can tell that we did sketch and not improv.
1: Well, you did improv. I famously did not do improv, which is why I continually feel extremely nervous every single time we do this podcast.
0: Yeah, because when you set me up and I give you great responses like, yes, I I gave you the yes, but not the and. But that's okay because it ties into the message of this song. It's someone discovering the joys of failing. So thematically, it kind of worked there. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's one of their songs that, because again, Barenaked Ladies, they tackle some really dark stuff. Not a jokey band. This one is an upbeat song about, I feel, someone who is either obsessive compulsive or a perfectionist. It's very lighthearted, I think.
1: Hmm. See, that's so... Yeah, I apparently have not thought really in-depth about the lyrics of this song terribly much, because I was just reading the surface level, falling for the first time, like, oh, obviously, this is a a happy, upbeat song, this is a falling-in-love song, da-da-da-da-da. Oh, no, but you're right, all of the lyrics are him saying about how he's doing badly at something. So he's falling, he's failing for the first, oh, I get it.
0: Yeah, I just think it's very, very, it it, it is about someone who discovers that, you know what? Like the standards that you hold yourself to, just let loose. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what if I lost my direction? What if I lost sense of time? Maybe the worst is behind. Like he's he's pretty much consoling himself in that at that point. And falling for the first time is okay. Because once you fall for the first time, you'll get back up.
1: My mind has been blown, Chris. Thank you very, very much. I'm going to listen to this song very differently, despite the fact that I've listened to this record like 12 times this week.
0: Here's a really sad, bizarre piece of trivia. This was one of the songs that was included in the iHeartMedia internal memo distributed to their radio station. So iHeartMedia, massive, the biggest uh, radio distribution network in America. They sent an internal memo with songs, titles that were lyrically questionable to play in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks. What?!
1: Wow. Okay.
0: You've got that song by the Barenaked Lays being banned for September 11th. New Orleans is sinking by the Tragically Hip is banned after Katrina. Man, <laughs> those Canadian bands, so edgy. Can't, can't play them in America.
1: I heard Media was around in the year 2000? They were called Clear,
0: so Clear Media, until they changed their name. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah, I thought they were like a satellite radio company, and I thought that was only a thing in like 2008 or something like that.
0: They would have, but then they had a merger, and they... That's not the next track. I was going to say... Cell sell, sell, but I was going to skip a track immediately. Uh, you can't force this. Stupid track six. But that's okay, because Conventioneers is the next track, and that's a pretty good song. You stationed in the warm glow of the tea-
1: Oh, yeah, it's a great, great song. Yeah, it tells a really, really clear narrative. All of our listeners know by now, I love a good story song. It's got a bit of a, like a soul kind of feel to it.
0: You walk into the room.
1: Like, yeah, kind of like light soul kind of feel to it. I really, really like. And now we're in the bath never fails to make, like, I always have to sing along with that lyric.
0: Now we're in the bath. <laughs> Steven Page, Page really showing his vocal range, too. It's very good. Yeah. You don't hear a lot of songs about someone regretting a one night stand. I like that. It's very wholesome. You shouldn't have done that.
1: <laughs> okay, so I knew you were going to say that because you put it in your notes. Uh, th- is what joke am I missing?
0: Aren't there a lot of songs about that? No, I I don't think so. I actually do. I actually do believe.
1: Okay, because I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell if you were being like, oh, this is a common lyrical content, right? That's either. why
0: texting and emailing is such a. A lot of stuff is lost in text. But no, I, I was being serious. I think that it actually. I'm, I'm glad that we're doing this in person, Chris. Oh mercy! I do think that it, it is good though, because yeah, you don't hear a lot of songs about that. It tells a very clear narrative, which is which is very sweet until it flips it. On it's there where they realize that this was a mistake I think it's implied that either one or the other is married I choose not to look at it that way because then that's just scummy but
1: I, uh, I can see where that could be an interpretation but that's never where really where I've come at thinking about this song I always thought it was more about like how exciting a relationship is before it starts while you're flirting and then as it starts and then how quick that shine can fall away and that maybe the only thing that was there was like the transgressiveness or the flirting. Yeah. Off the top. There's that whole bit towards the end about like, ah, when we talk in the office, it would all be innuendo and now we just ask what the weather's like.
0: That's a much better interpretation because I'd rather not believe that it's a piece of shit person cheating on their husband slash wife.
1: I where's the textual evidence for that? (laughs) Is there a lyric that specifically points towards that or is it just that it's an office relationship and therefore kind of sketchy to begin with?
0: Look, I've gone on record this episode's saying that i thought that betty davis eyes was the devil's eye so who am i to interpret lyrics <laughs> moving on to our next song i'm calling kim Carnes. we then move on to our next track sell 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 i don't really have an opinion on this one so Ephraim, what do you think
1: I have a pretty strong opinion about this song I love this song
0: oh wonderful please because again I don't have much so I'm, so you you tell me all about it and what you like about it
1: uh, from a you know immediately narcissistic standpoint any song that's like literally about actors I kind of like because that's my job it's a song about my profession ah I feel connected to this it's uh I, I like that it's also a story song but it's a little bit more opaque and vague about the actual timeline of narrative events or uh, you know what is actually happening in the story of the song. I like how kind of like weird and operatic it gets at times which is kind of cool and also I maybe it's because I started getting into the band the year after because again when I really started listening to this record was like 2001-2002. And this came out in two thousand, so I keep forgetting that like the Iraq stuff. Yeah. That's in the middle of it was prescient because it was it just felt very, very early two thousands. Like the both this and helicopters coming up both feel like very much ah uh, yes we are a liberal band writing in the era of George W Bush kind of thing but this would have been just before that though because this is the 2000 election this was still a Clinton record
0: this is the only note that I have for this where I find it very funny like you said that some people think that the band predicted the war in Iraq this Canadian band infiltrates the American music scene with stunt and it's like now we're gonna now we're gonna get inside the political landscape
1: it's like reading tea leaves or all those like conspiracy things in the 60s with the Paul is dead stuff but it's like oh how How did they how did they predict the Iraq war? No, but that's the thing, because the the line is the new Iraq gets more irate because this was before Gulf War two. It was was before the second time that they went. So at this point, the new Iraq was not Iraq. Little did they know the new Iraq was just Iraq again.
0: (laughs) Whoa, that's how many times did we get Iraq in that sentence? It's pretty good. What
1: an unfortunate period of history. I mean, not unlike any other period of history, to be honest, but like,
0: I guess you just have to see the humor of the situation which is our next track.
1: Come on now. there's the stuff there's the segue.
0: just put it into my veins really catchy you talk about how not ears, but go home could have been a single I think that the humorous situation could have also been a single off of this album
1: it is I'm not sure that it could have been because of the the lyrical like the story content of the song mm. because it isn't just like a straight up happy love song or a breakup song or anything like that it's specifically like a weird dark cheating song true where the guy gets his conversation cum- comeuppance at the end I feel like that's a harder sell on the radio
0: so this is a question then do you think that this song so you believe that this song tells a story one story throughout the whole thing uh, yes. Interesting. Cause I do. the way that I interpreted it is that for very specific situations that are awkward, but you can laugh about later. So, you know, you talk about someone behind someone's back being kicked out by your partner, but I can very much see your point of view too, because one of the reasons you might get kicked out by your partner is because you're talking about them behind their backs. So it, oh, uh,
1: <laughs> I did. I also didn't think that they were taught. To- well, like, like it says in the lyric that they're talking about, it, but I think it's pretty heavily implied that it's his partner has walked in on him and another woman. Like, like in mid coitus.
0: I love that so many, that these are two separate songs now on this album. One of, one or the other of us have been like, I think it's about cheating. The band gets back to us. None of them were about cheating. Baby seat was about cheating. Wait, what?
1: <laughs> I don't, so actively, it was not, but, uh, Sorry, I'm just looking over the lyrics again. Okay, yeah, there's nothing specific about, in the first verse, him walking in on them doing it, but I'm pretty sure, like, I feel like it's heavily implied that they're not just talking about him. That his, that his, his girlfriend has gotten home earlier than expected.
0: And now we're in the bath. I, yeah, I, I really do like this song, but I think you're right. Even no matter what the interpretation is, it is definitely a darker song. I agree. I think that it isn't really meant for radio that way, but it's very catchy.
1: It's very, very catchy. Yeah, I, I guess I thought that like the arc of the song was that, ah, the humor of the situation first is like, oh, isn't it? Don't you think it's funny that you walked in? on us? And then at the end of it, he's been kicked out and is naked on the lawn and have, being hosed down by the neighbor. And it's like, oh, isn't, oh, no, the tape. Tables have turned. This isn't very funny for me. And then she's saying humor of the situation to him. That's kind of where I thought.
0: Oh, where it flips around. Yeah. Okay. Flips
1: around that way. That's that's kind of how I had I had viewed the the story of. Oh. narrative arc of the song
0: i'm gonna i'm gonna listen to it again again i've been almost exclusively listening to this album this entire week but there's no no harm right right listening to it another time
1: chris to be on okay i am thrilled this has happened i'm not sure if this happened last episode but it certainly happened the episode previous that we have each flipped each other's expectations or interpretations of a song we have done that to each other on separate songs each episode and i think that's great i think that's a fun thing it is baby seat
0: So you've talked in the past about the collaborations between Paige and Duffy. This is going to be the last one. What are your thoughts?
1: I love this song. Nice. And I didn't until revisiting this album for this podcast. I was driving, I was on the 404, driving south Listening to this album like two weeks ago when it came on, and I just re- like it just hit me like a lightning bolt that this just sounds like a Eurythmics song.
0: Oh yeah, okay. Like, do,
1: do you know that band? Do you know? Do you know the Eurythmics Annie Lennox song? man?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Annie
1: Lennox. Hell, hell yeah, Annie Lennox. Go, going back to when I was in high school, in grade nine, I was such a dork because I was, it was the year 2000 when this came out and I was just so excited about the new Eurythmics album that had come out. Their last one as a duo, Annie Lennox and Dave Stewart, that came out in 1999. But yeah, no, Baby Seat just sounds so, there's, there's something about the, yeah. Can live like that thing, there's something about the way that melody flows that it but like, i just imagine annie lennox singing it yeah i can see that and it sounds perfect to me. Yeah. And it just sounds so unlike anything else on the album.
0: Do you think that it's a coincidence that you talk about the rhythmics and that era of music that, you know, one of the co-creators of Duran Duran wrote this song because it is of that era. Yeah. I
1: don't think so. Because again, because Duran Duran, you know, like classic new wave, because they're British as well, right? They are. Yes. So like also a British new wave band. So it has that similar kind of influence and sound. And I really like that era of music as well. So I like that it kind of has that new wave feel to it as well. Absolutely. I really, really dig it. Yeah, and the and like the message of the song is really, really nice too because it's also that like ah you know just you know believe in yourself. Eh.
0: Which I, I I wrote this when I was listening to. It. I'm like I, I think of when I think of this song, I think of that line from The Simpsons where the episode where they're at a beach house and Millhouse is with them and Homer just goes, "You got the dud right here. Stand up for yourself, Poindexter." Just keeps on ripping him. <laughs> It's like he's insulting him, but still telling him to stand up for himself. <laughs> we then go to Off the Hook. The only note I have for this is sad boy Page. Yep, yep. He waited, he waited for a while, he lured you in, but then boom, track 10, there goes, there's the angst. Yeah,
1: Off the Hook really kind of feels like Just a Toy Part 2 to me. Okay. Like, when I was listening to Born on a Pirate Ship and Just a Toy came up, I was like, eh, this song doesn't really do much for me. I feel like Stephen Page has written this song, like, five times, and I think that this (laughs) is... This is the second time he wrote just a toy is off the hook. And I don't know why there's just something about the emotionality of the song. There's something about the feeling it evokes and also like the subject matter and just the, yeah, yeah. Just, just, it just, it feels like the same song to me. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Yeah, eh. it's it's yeah. I, it's just a bit. This sounds horrible. Like I say, self-indulgent because Stephen Page has like had a history of you know not mental illness but he's had bouts of depression and things like that. So I imagine that would come through. But yeah, it's just doesn't really. It's it's kind of a, a throwaway song to me. Yeah. I think that mm-hmm. whenever I listen to albums retroactively, it makes me sad in terms of something like Maroon for the Bare Naked Ladies. A song like "The Humor of the Situation." It's not a song they're ever going to play live now because what's the point? They're hitting their greatest hits and then. They're they're going to play songs off of their new album. Had I seen them live during the Maroon tour, there's a good chance I would have heard humor of the situation because yeah. that would have been one of those songs where it's like, we're going to play some new stuff. I don't think Off the Hook would have been one of the ones they would have no. sang.
1: Though on that note, le- again, less about off the hook because I don't need to talk about that song anymore because again, it just feels meh to me. But like, yeah, when you have a you have a catalog of fifteen studio albums and you're doing like a like a what two three hour concert, two sets. If you want to play the hits, that's the whole show. Like you play the hits and a couple tracks off the new album, and that's it. There's there's not a lot of room to play album cuts. That's kind
0: of a bummer. Yeah. 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 Helicopters. Do you think they would have played the next track? in during the maroon tour this is where the helicopters
1: came to take me away this is where the children used to play they certainly, I think they would have again because they predicted Gulf War II. Uh, it suddenly became a lot more topical afterwards. I feel like, yeah, this feels like a very, oh yeah, early 2000s George W. Bush.
0: So we're in the agreement that this song is definitely about wartime journalists then, right? Or just people getting out of the combat zone?
1: People getting out of, yeah. I, I think it's specifically about a, a soldier going on like a tour of a war zone that he had been in. Okay. Okay. Like, I, think the, I, th- I think the speaker is specifically a soldier right. uh, who is talking to journalists. I don't, yeah. So I, I think there are journalists in the song, but I don't think that's who's talking. I think the person who's talking is someone who was in the war.
0: Okay. No, I, I buy that. That's pretty good. And finally, I think we can both agree what the next song is. Speaking of dark, Tonight is the Night, I Fell Asleep at the Wheel. Nobody! Holy so shit.
1: Oh, it's so good.
0: Yeah, I've got a note here for our listeners. So, we do notes back and forth between each other before we record because, because we're professionals. professionals. We are professionals. And I've got a big one here saying, "Want to know what you thought about this one because it's a whole story and you love a story from
1: I think it's really really great." It is. It's really sad. Holy shit. I think that oh, good god. I think that musically, it's really, really interesting. And it's, I like that it still is a funny song.
0: It's got circus music playing in the background while someone's being pulled out of a car.
1: I was about to say, it's kind of, it's kind of got this weird Calliope circus music kind of feel to it. And again, the the line, I heard some idiot ask if someone's inside always makes me laugh. Because again, it's fr- the, that, that line is being said from the perspective of the guy who's slowly dying. Like, oh, who's this jackass? Yes, of course someone's inside. It's me. I can't help but think that the germ of this song was that... Steve or Ed was sitting looking out the window and said you're the last thing on my mind you're the last thing on my mind you're the last thing on my mind because that turn of phrase where it starts off saying that oh he's driving the car his his partner at home is the last thing on his mind and then as he's dying they're the last thing on his mind is just such a great turn
0: of phrase and it's so it's yeah it's really beautiful and sweet and dark and it's great it hits you like a ton of bricks exactly the driving down you're the last thing on my mind and just repeating that after as he is losing consciousness and essentially dying it's it's fucked up man like it yeah. is in in the best possible way in the it's again just them turning a phrase like no other band yeah and yeah just like listening to this it's almost creepy in the way that it does have that positive uplifting kind of melody mm mm-hmm. mhm And that circus as music, it's, um, and it's very, yeah. It's just so
1: wonderfully darkly comedic. Yes. Because I was just yeah, I'm just like looking over the lyrics again in the other window. And the thing, I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I forgot the entire bridge with the repeat of never seen so much, never seen so much. And it takes the whole bridge for that to resolve into so much blood. And it's so funny and it's so sad, but it's so, like, the timing on that punchline is great, but it's so sad and awful.
0: From a thematic standpoint or like in terms of subject matter of their songs we've said that the flag off of Gordon is probably their darkest song by far this song is the second darkest but I think that it's so funny it, it's true
1: yeah yeah that's the thing I don't think it uh, I don't think it is because yeah it's about like the the actual events of the song are sad yeah. but the song itself is so funny I don't think it's up there in the canon of darkest American Berk- Lady songs I think it, I think it's up there in the like the like the darkest of their comedy songs
0: I mean, to be fair, nothing can ever top the flag in terms of just punch punch to the gut, I need a shower after this. Absolutely not. And again, clever lyrics, because we've got the line, it's not over to the fat lady sings in this song, and then they go immediately into a hidden track where it's like, hey, we got more, which is, of course, Hidden Sun. So...
1: Their chronological timeline, we're past the era of vinyl, we're past the era of cassettes. This is like purely a compact disc release. So this would have been a hidden track that you'd have to like wait three minutes to hear after the end of the track but i haven't put a cd in a cd player in so long that i just thought because i just have them as separate tracks in my digital version of the album that i just thought this was just a normal last track and i think it works better that way i think that hidden tracks with lots of space
0: between them are
1: yeah i think that's i think it's fine that we've left that era behind us
0: so for the 20th anniversary edition of this album, it was included as its own track. And the Australian single version of Pinch Me, this is the B-side to it. Oh! I mean, there are so many bonus tracks, and I want to stick to the, just the core 12 songs. But I wanted to bring this one up, though, because it is the first song written and performed by Kevin Hearn in the band's mm-hmm. history, which is kind of a historical thing. So, And God, he's got a he's got a nice singing voice. Like, this is a horrible thing to say. I don't think that he could be the front man of a band, but he's a very good musician, and he's got a nice voice. He can carry a tune better than I can.
1: I do. Do really really like this song. The problem is that even uh, we're getting in, we're getting into some of the talk that I'm gonna have for some of their later records where Kevin does some of the more actual album tracks and stuff. Because make no mistake, Kevin Hearn is an important and integral member of the Bare Naked Ladies. His tracks where he leads and writes the songs don't sound like Bare Naked Ladies songs to me. Like to make some other Canadian references, it's like I don't know. Hidden Sun feels like I'm listening to like a Blue Rodeo record and then. Suddenly, right at the end, there's a Ron Sexsmith track for no reason. You know, I like Ron Sexsmith. He's a good. He's a good singer. But I was I put on a Blue Rodeo record, and again, even though I like Ron Sexsmith, I like Blue Rodeo a lot better. And that's the album I went to put on. So it just feels very out of place, even though I still like it.
0: Kevin Hearn sings like he sounds. Just very non-offensive and just happy to be there. <laughs> oh. I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just oh,
1: he just seems like such a nice guy.
0: He really does.
1: He just seems like such a such a cool, laid back, like just really, yeah. Oh.
0: I did read something, and it hasn't been confirmed or not that he did write this when he was in the hospital going through um, chemo treatment. Yeah. after the stunt tour but um, I can't confirm or deny that but it's a it's a good song it does work I mean it's strong enough that it works as its own track but yeah important historically but I can appreciate Kevin Hearn for what he does but I probably wouldn't say that any of his songs are any of my favorite from the albums
1: yeah I did find it was interesting now that I've heard a lot more songs that he does lead on because they've added a lot more of them after Steve left mm-hmm. the Band on later records because I, I now that I kind of know what his songs sound like I was kind of surprised to hear how similar Hidden Sun sounds to his current work mm. he definitely has a voice as a writer he definitely has a certain kind of rhythm that his lyrics have and a certain kind of like way that the stanzas work
0: yeah I think Vanishing is probably my favorite song by him off of Grinning Streak that he's done
1: oh that's a good uh, we'll save it yeah. we'll save it for the... but I
0: think that I think <laughs> you're right it, it is very similar to Hidden Sun, it's true just thematically yeah. the way it sounds yeah and that ends yeah. Maroon that is Maroon all 12 tracks mm-hmm. 12.5 tracks Ephraim if you had to rank this album, where would it be? Uh,
1: I think this is one mm-hmm. of my favorites. It always has a special place in my heart because the, my introduction to the Bare Naked Ladies, again, was Born on a Pirate Ship and Maroon were the first two full albums of theirs I owned and then I'd heard if I had a million dollars on the radio a bunch (laughs) that like 2.15 albums was kind of my introduction to the band so it's always gonna have like a really like a really really special place in my heart and there was something like I think like it's mostly just off the hook that seemed like a -a skipperoo when we were talking about it right now so yeah I really really like it I haven't done like a full ranking yet because I want to like actually revisit each of the records as we do the season before I think of it but I have a feeling this is like a top three or four kind of area.
0: Nice. Cool. I'd probably say for me, it's maybe fifth or sixth for this. I like it a lot. I think it's great. I think it's kind of the anti Maybe You Should Drive as we were speaking about it, especially with your opinions, which I really liked, where you were saying that when we went back and listened to Maybe You Should Drive for the second episode, you said, oh, I thought I liked more tracks on this album than I did. Whereas you're saying, oh, I'm listening to Maroon now and I forgot how much I like some of these tracks. So, which is mm-hmm. always the much better outcome in that scenario. So,
1: yeah. As I said, I still think that. Maybe you should drive. Is their best EP? Mm, Yes, (laughs) but
0: very true. So
1: again, there's there's 12 tracks. Four of them are the best EP they've ever put out, but the other eight can get out of my CD changer.
0: It's a very interesting album because again, it's so heavy loaded with Steve Page's vocals that you don't hear a lot, if not any, of these songs except for the singles. When they do live shows now, you're really only going to hear "Falling for the First Time." and Pinch Me I may be yeah. Too Little Too Late I don't think I've heard Too Little Too Late by them live and I've seen a lot of shows pre and post stephen
1: I think Ed could sing Too Little Too Late really really well I think I'm I'm imagining Ed singing Too Little Too Late right now and I really like it yeah
0: I could actually very much see that he does a really yeah. good job with a lot of those songs but I'm not sure if this is a
1: final thoughts thing but I also really like that they front loaded all of the hooky pop songs into the first half again this is this would have been a just like a straight up CD so there aren't sides yeah. to this but I feel like there's a side 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 a and a side b where the side a is too little too late never do anything pinch me go home and falling for the first time and those are all really hooky just poppy radio friendly songs Then they're like let's get weird and narratively specific guys and then the back half of the record is all like really interesting and cool and a bit darker and a story songs that are a bit more interesting musically. It hits all the sweet spots. I like it.
0: It really does. That was Maroon, guys. As I said before, next week we are going to cover Everything to Everyone. We're going to skip all their greatest hits. That might be a special episode later on, but Everything to Everyone is the next song that happens chronologically. I have a lot of strong opinions on that album. Some good, some bad. So stay tuned for that. We want to give a shout out to Jerusha Ellis for the sweet artwork that you clicked on to listen to this podcast. And to Jonathan Langdon, friend of the show, amazing comedian and amazing musician who did the intro music that you heard and the intro music you're about to hear. Ephraim, where can people find you in between episodes?
1: So I am on Instagram at Ephraim Ellis. And uh, you can also find me on Netflix in Murdoch Mysteries Season 4. That's
0: why I've got a VPN. And you can find me at CSmall201 on Twitter. You can also follow the official Twitter of the podcast and Twitter at csmall md where we're going to be tweeting all about stuff uh you can check out when new episodes have dropped you can find us on spotify apple podcasts and anchor which is our host in the meantime and in between time i'm chris small and
1: i'm e from alice and, and we were fully clothed this whole time.
0: time good stuff <laughs> see you next week guys